Welcome to the Reinventing Education podcast. This is a podcast for people interested in taking what education is, reimagining it, and then trying some new things. I'm your host, Rob McLeod, joined as always by Brendan O'Leary. Today, we'll be diving deep into one of our three types of schools. We're going to look at the mainstream school approach to staff development and evaluation as well. Brendan, how are you? Not too bad, Rob. We had our uh, winter break. Now we're back in school, in the physical school. What's the deal with you fellas over there in Belgium? In You're in Japan. I'm in Belgium. Belgium, also doing physical school. A little bit of hybrid online stuff going on as well at the moment, but mostly in school, masks on, socially distancing, and uh, yeah, kind of stuck more or less being like a teacher from the 1800s where everyone's at their desks in rows, not supposed to be mingling. And uh, it's presenting challenges to still do that as good as it can be done. Um, It's certainly weird times, though. Mm. It's hard to keep hold of that, especially, you know, we're in a IB school with inquiry learning, such so, a so group work collaboration is absolutely key. And doing it socially distanced has brought a lot of challenges, but uh, the teachers and the kids are making the best of these tough times. Yeah, I, I just want to say I do give staff some credit for having the flexibility and the perseverance to troop on through these times, but especially for the kids these days, like this is com- the, the demands we're putting on them the the leniences we're asking from them are a lot and i have to be honest kids are pretty cool in my school in terms of rolling with the punches on this one it's pretty impressive to see their resilience that's for sure right on i agree i'm not in the classroom so i don't see it quite as much well and you're not in the classroom because you are one of these people who's focused on staff professional development so rob the first section we're going to look at today is what staff professional development might look like in a mainstream school what even is that well let's first talk about the water that you might be swimming in if you find yourself in a mainstream school without question the idea that staff should be developing is just a given. You don't even you don't have to make a case for this. No one's saying like, you know what we should be doing is some PD right now, professional development. No, it's it's a given if you're in a mainstream school that professional development, continuous training and growth of teachers are just inherently good things. There's this belief in progress, reaching new potential, always a space for us to be able to improve. And that would run in the face of some of the beliefs of the previous mindset, the previous approach to school, the traditional, where it's like, no, I'm using my common sense. I'm upholding my duty. I'm I'm doing a good job here. You know, I, I don't need to constantly be reinventing the wheel. And you know, this emerges with this like mainstream opportunity value. I guess like this is connected to the idea that like learning is measurable and the setting of transparent and achievable goals for students is also reflected for staff. So for students, we have these curricular goals that are very clear, very targeted. And, you know, we do all this work to support their development with that. For us as staff, we will also have very measurable, very quantifiable, transparent and achievable goals set for staff for us to accomplish. Now, often those will be in relationship to student achievement and improving student achievement scores, but it might also be about just general classroom practice. And there is this idea that we can be pushing ourselves with the zone of proximal development by Vygotsky. I always feel I'm second guessing my pronunciation on that name, but the zone of proximal development is basically like uh, Goldilocks principle of you don't want the push to be too easy. You don't want the push to be too hard. You want it to be just right. 
Like if you're going to the gym, you don't want to be spending your time lifting weights that are too light. You also don't want to go hurt yourself and grab something that's too heavy. You want those weights that will actually develop muscle, actually push your cardiovascular system, etc. So we'll, we'll come a little bit later into how to make professional development relevant and practical, but a, a key idea is professional development happens on a frequent basis and it relates to your teaching practice. It relates to what you're doing day in, day out. Now, there's many different forms that professional development can take. You may head out to a particular place where you'll gather together with many other educators and there'll be an expert or a specialist who will teach you some new set of skills or help you to practice an area that you're looking to improve. Sometimes the whole school will get together and the leadership will bring in an expert that can help to guide the entire school community, the teaching staff, through a particular area. We did one a little while ago on assessment and we've also looked at special needs support and so on. So anything that relates to all the staff within a school, that's when professional development, where you maybe bring in an expert, is a, is a really good way to go. There's also a lot of skills and knowledge inside the teachers and staff within a school. And so a lot of mainstream schools will tap into the skills they already have and have people that work inside the school present professional development for the staff. There's also things like peer-to-peer. This is a form of professional development where teachers will partner up with somebody who has similar or or sometimes very dissimilar skill set and they will go into each other's classrooms with a specific focus and essentially support each other in building skills. So PD or professional development, it is a given and it can take many, many forms. There are, as with everything, what we call babies. There are good things that we want to keep hold of within professional development. So Rob, what might some of those be? Yeah, and even before I get into those, you may have just heard us describe professional development, and most people are probably in a mainstream school, and you might be just thinking like, well, yeah, that is what professional development is, what you've just described. But if you go back and listen to our discussion about professional development in a traditional mindset, it looks very different, and the next stage of school, the progressive school, has different ideas about what it means to develop as a staff. However, what we've just described there is probably what you'll find at the majority of schools around the world for sure. So what are the good things about this very mainstream common approach? Well, the use of aims and specified goals for betterment, like defining or attempting to define what good means and what better than what we're doing now means as well. And typically these are smart goals which are specific, measurable, uh, achievable. What's the R? It's not reachable. If Realistic. Realistic. Thank you. And time sensitive. So these are clear and achievable goals. There is also this idea of the growth mindset. And this is something that could be part of a traditional teacher's mindset, most likely part of a progressive teacher's mindset. But, you know, this is one of the gifts that the mainstream school brings into this by putting emphasis on the growth mindset. What is a growth mindset? The idea that you can grow the idea that you can become more, and the things that challenge you now at some time in the future won't be things that will challenge you or you can grow, you can develop. And essentially, it's like an acceptance that you have a learning curve, that you will not be good at things for a while and that you will get better at them as time goes on. Uh, We also like the idea that growth is explicit for staff and teachers and the idea that, as you were saying with peer-to-peer, staff can coach each other as well. It doesn't always have to be an outside expert that's coming in. And, you know, this can really create like a very positive school culture one where you know staff is very welcoming to have each other in their rooms you know it even 
on the personal level, there is some satisfaction in feeling you are an expert in an area and that, you know, you're able to serve and help staff and, and others to develop in the skills that you have and creates this, yeah, just very positive culture of feeling appreciated, being acknowledged for your strengths and being able to contribute back to like, you know, raising all ships by raising the tide, that kind of thing. Like there is this really beautiful sense of community that comes from it. This idea of supporting each other, it moves towards that coach model and away from a master and apprentice model. Now, what that does is that it freezes up to try new things, try new ideas to realize that we're all learning. And whatever stage we are in our in our lives and our careers, there are ways to improve and to get better. And what this does is then draws a, a, a straight line from teacher growth to student growth. The idea is that every time we learn something new, it makes us better as teachers, and that should be applicable to our students and therefore allow our students greater growth as well. So I did a little bit of research into this, and I found an article I really liked from uh, a website called Prodigy. Now, Prodigy is actually a math program. They do other things too, but we've used it as a a math support program. One of the things they do is a 90s electronic band. They also do that on the side. They do. They were very good as children. I believe they were exceptional. So what what they say, what the prodigies say is that if you want to make teacher professional development effective, it should be specific to the goals that you're trying to reach. And it should be relevant to either the group or to the individual who's taking it. To be able to motivate people and have this be meaningful, people have to buy in. So you want people to choose to take the professional development as much as possible. Obviously, if this is someone who's coming into your school to to provide training in, in a certain skill area, it's down to the leadership team to make sure that this is relevant and applicable to everybody. But in a lot of cases, you get to go out there and choose your own PD and nowadays there's lots and lots online as well it's really you can take courses pretty much at any time in any any subject so we, we want to make sure that we get teacher buy-in we want it to, we want teachers to be motivated and ideally you get that through teachers choosing to do the professional development or making the people that come in have a lot of connection to what what teachers do in their daily practice. Similarly, we want to make the professional development ongoing, so part of a series of developments. An example from our school is we were launching a more conceptual problem-solving focus in math, and so we've had seven or eight sessions over the year where people can take on board some of the ideas and then put them in practice in their classroom and discuss it and then come back in a few weeks and move on to the next area. So there are lots and lots of positives to having professional development, but as, again, not everything's perfect and there's some bath water in there. So Rob, did you want to pick up on a few of the things where PD might go awry? So we started this by saying that professional development in a mainstream school is just seen as an inherent good and is worth doing. You can create goals, you can create aims, but it's possible that the activity of doing those because you believe that they have to be done can lead to creating either irrelevant goals or finding irrelevant professional development that might be possibly too general or just ends up being unrelated to practice. So there's this idea that we have to be doing development. And to some degree, schools may or may not actually hone in on what is actually most relevant to them, what actually serves their context the most, and just jump onto something or some kind of train to put their time, energy, and focus toward. 
And, you know, this can, it can also lead to the possibility that the professional development is not really for the individual, for their growth. It might just simply be for the boss. It can be about impressing the boss. It might, you know, be something where it doesn't actually matter to you, but this is bureaucratic. It's seen as a distraction taking away from what is actually important to you. And it's just something that you have to do. And it can become like a box ticking exercise. It's just an expectation in a system. You have to prove that you've learned something or taken so many hours of online courses or, you know, you have to do two workshops each half year or something like that, where it's more about ticking the box than it is necessarily proving that this was worthwhile. And this comes back to one of the bathwaters of the mainstream school, where it's believed that anything can be put into some kind of quantifiable measurement. So how do you measure that the PD is worthwhile or is, you know, is successful in your school? Well, if your school is looking at increasing the total number of hours of professional development done in the year, sure, your staff can have done several hours of work, but if it's not translating into something that's meaningful and actually achieving results, that quantifiable metric of how many hours is somewhat irrelevant, but you can pretend that it is very relevant. Um, you know, it's assumed that, of course, the more hours, the better, that sort of a thing. Also, sometimes it's done just on the individual level to like beef up your resume for later. So it's maybe not being done for the right reasons, whatever you might define right as, serving students, being able to contribute back or whatnot. Sometimes it's just done simply like, hey, I'm only going to be in this school for two, three years. I'm going to like have as much invested in me as possible here so that when I move to the next place, you know, maybe I can be one or two steps up higher up the pay ladder or one or two steps up in the school authority, like the teacher using that professional development as their own negotiating or bargaining chip down the road. And also there's just simply the fact that a lot of time, a lot of investment can go into getting people this professional development. But if people aren't actually then taking what they've learned, implementing it in their classes, teaching other staff about it, or if it's not in alignment with their own personal values or even the school's group culture, it can easily be forgotten quickly. And if not forgotten, possibly replaced, because there's always this push that we have to be growing as teachers. We always have to have some new aim, some new initiative. And, you know, this year's big push becomes the thing that next year we're being told, oh, we shouldn't do that. We should be doing this thing now. And there's this brand new push. And there's a lot of criticism. Some of it warranted. Some of it is just grumbling of the pendulum that always seems to swing back and forth in education of going from one extreme to the other every few years. And this is definitely the case with professional development. Even in my 11 years, some of the trainings I took 11 years ago now stand in total disagreement with some of the trainings I'm taking now. So either the work is forgotten about, not implemented, or possibly just irrelevant based on new school goals a few years later. I think what we're walking away here is saying that if you are in a mainstream mindset, working in a mainstream school, what we want to be looking for in that professional development is to have it be something that we really feel is meaningful to our practice. It's something that we want to go out and it may require us leaving our the confines of our school or going online. It may require us going to the leadership of the school and asking them to bring somebody in that can bring this skill set to the entire community. But done right, 
it benefits teachers, it benefits the whole school community, and it leads to to student growth, which is at the end of the day, the reason why a mainstream school is in existence or one of them. But what ties in very strongly with the idea of professional development is, is the idea of evaluation. So, you know, it's pretty much agreed by everybody that we want good teachers in our school. It's not a controversial statement. It gets a little trickier when you say, what does that mean? And how do you measure the quality of a teacher? Traditionally, not going back too far into the traditional mindset, if a teacher covered the curriculum and had their kids remembering what was taught. They were fairly strict with their discipline and kept the kids in line and the classroom was well maintained. That was generally seen as high quality teaching. We're in a position now where teaching and learning is viewed in a somewhat more complex manner, I would say, especially in the mainstream. It's maybe there are more criteria for success and that criteria, a mainstream school is trying to make it more explicit and measurable. So Rob, what do we kind of mean when we talk about evaluation of teachers in a mainstream school? What might it look like? How might it differ from how it looked in the past? So some of the new things that come online include your planning, so your quality of your planning. Previously, a lot of planning was kind of left up to your discretion, or it was just trusted that you're on top of that. Whereas now, your plans often in a mainstream school need to be submitted ahead of time, you know, whether that might be on a weekly basis, a monthly basis, even a semester-long basis to prove that you've got longer, medium, and even day-to-day planning. Curriculum development, so the idea that having a curriculum is not enough, the idea that we need to get specific about learning goals, um, assessments in relationship to that. These are kind of new, uh, as well as creativity in teaching. Certainly this is relevant in the traditional school, but there's in the mainstream school, this like larger push. And I don't want to be cynical here, but like, you know, almost the being able to, to really show your talents, like the Pinterest side of things where like, Hey, I'm taking these things we've always done, but here's a, here's a new spin on it. Essentially, you know, an ability for you as a teacher to even put a bit of your own branding, a bit of your flair, a bit of your own voice into things. It's not just enough to show up and do the job anymore as well. Professionalism. So especially in terms of like communication skills, this could include as well, like communication with parents, your ability to have strong, positive relationships within the school with everybody involved can include differentiation certainly is going to include your ability to encourage motivate promote student progress and as well there's always space to be developing in behavior management and to ensure that not only are you being able to handle your class and have a well-functioning class but that your well-functioning class is also very effectively covering the curriculum and and providing student success so when we're looking at teacher evaluation, often side by side to this idea of a teacher's evaluation is what are their results in the class in terms of their student learning outcomes? So it's not you in isolation as a teacher, are you effective or not? It's are you as a teacher effective? And let's see those numbers of the students to back that up. We'll get into this a little bit, I guess, when the bathwater area comes around, but the criticism can be that there's too much focus and evaluation on those numbers. But given the healthiest iteration of evaluation in a mainstream school, it would it would take into account not only the individual goals of a teacher, what do they want to do in terms of their professional development or their application of that inside the class in various subjects, and also what 
goals do we have as a learning community? Are we all looking at differentiation this year? Are we all looking to implement a certain new set of programs? Sometimes those goals and the things that your evaluator is looking for are dictated by the the state or on a national level. Sometimes the school has goals and sometimes the individual goals are taken into account. But whichever way it's looked at, there is a kind of continuum between what we talked about earlier of having maybe a peer who would work with you. Now, you and I did Uh, Rob, we went to some professional development ourselves with a guy called Steve Barkley, who talked a lot about the differences between like a peer-to-peer support network and evaluation. And so you might start on one end of the spectrum or one one end of the arc with your peer. You're working together. You're helping each other to develop. You may have a um, coordinator. That's my current role. I might go in. I work with teachers, but I don't evaluate per se. Whereas the head teacher, the principal, They may be the one who actually evaluates. They may have a checklist. They may come in with a certain set of policies, a certain set of procedures. There's so many different ways that evaluation can look inside a classroom. But what we do ideally want it to be is based on a combination of goals that the teacher has personally developed and goals that the school has. We want them the evaluations to be relatively frequent. We want them to be explicit in what we're looking for. A lot of these ideas are subjective. It's hard to measure how well somebody is being creative or how well they are interpreting the curriculum. That's why evaluation in many forms in mainstream schools will look more like a discussion, a negotiation, rather than somebody coming in and saying, here is what you should be doing, you're doing it or you're not doing it. And I think that's how it might differ a little bit from a traditional view of evaluation. So what are some of the things, Rob, that we want to see? What are some of the benefits or babies of mainstream school teacher evaluation? Yeah, so... In general, one of the huge benefits of the mainstream approach is both accountability and transparency. So the idea that accountability is embedded in evaluations, and that can lead to honest, trusting relationships with clear responsibilities. And people aren't afraid of their shortcomings, because with this growth mindset, there's the idea that we can always grow, become better, and everybody's being supported from the student level up to the staff level to the leadership level. There's this belief that if we are true learners, we all have learning curves, and you are supported in your learning process here, in your growth, in your development. It can also help to create a sense of team, because as I was just saying, like, you know, these rules apply to everybody. The higher you move up the ladder within a mainstream school, you don't have a different set of criteria applied to you from student to teacher to leadership. There's this idea of a process of evaluation that's clear, transparent, open, and trusted. And because we're all in this together, you as a teacher have the support from the leadership team that this evaluation is there to help you, is there to help the school, is there to help the students, and therefore it is meaningful. It's not just an arbitrary power move, which you may see in the worst iterations of the traditional school. And as with PD, there's clear, achievable, supported, smart goals, and that can be certainly very motivating. It gives a sense of meaning to what is happening in the school and certainly can have positive applications for both the individuals and group skills as well. And just helps to create the sense of confidence of like, look where we were, look where we've come, look where we're going. It helps to create 
a sense of belonging around a new kind of narrative. Where in traditional schools, maybe that sense of belonging came from a sense of lineage, of who we have been, so who we are now. And this becomes more about who who are we now as a learning community and where are we going, I think is the, the subtle shift into that mainstream approach. So those are some of the positives, as always. We like to have sunny parades and then rain on them. Brennan, what are a few of the the bathwaters here that that are drawbacks of this mainstream approach to to staff evaluations? Well, even if the process is clear and there's clear goals and you've had your say, it may be that you still feel somewhat the observations are almost like you're being spied on, almost as if somebody's coming in and they're going to make a heavy judgment on you without really you giving a chance to shine. And so you're almost under pressure to perform. Now, In some cases, that's just on that day. But I've known schools where that that becomes almost like a a culture of fear that you don't know. Teachers are never sure if the leadership team are going to come in and make on-the-spot evaluations or whether they might walk in through the door and suddenly you, you, you should be doing this wonderful, amazing lesson. Now, everybody, of course, is trying to do their best to do wonderful, amazing lessons. But the nature of learning is that it's messy and you often have to try new things. You differentiate for children in different ways. You have to try strategies to uh, motivate your students to help them to learn. Not everything's going to work. And this idea that you're live, that you're working in a place where either announced or unannounced Somebody's going to come in and cast very heavy judgment on you. It's not a pleasant undercurrent to have within the culture. And thankfully, yeah, most of the places I've worked in have, have been the opposite of that. A best case scenario is you have a leadership team that will drop by often and they'll do formal and informal observations and the feedback will be given and the discussion will happen about, oh, why did you try this? How did that work? How did you feel? And so... What I'm painting there is a, is a fairly negative scenario, but it certainly does happen. And it, sometimes it's the perception of the teacher as well. So even within a certain school, some people might be like, well, you know, the head comes in twice a year and they tell us they're coming and, you know, certain personalities and certain levels of confidence. It may not be a very comfortable place to work in to have that hanging over your head. And in some countries, some systems, the progress of your students on standardized testing is linked really, really heavily to your evaluations. And those are linked to your salary. And so we've all we've heard these stories and their their nightmare scenarios where people are working in situations where you have to essentially drill your students to get high test scores and the, your evaluations are entirely based on how far you move your students on in these in these standardized tests. We've talked about this in the past, the importance of good quality assessments and, and tests can be part of that for sure. But when that begins to wag the dog and everything Every single evaluation made of your quality as a teacher and the quality of your students is based on how well they do on one or two tests. That's a very high pressure situation. So all in all, those scenarios all lead to it actually working against that growth mindset that we talked about. The idea that we're all on a learning curve and we're all trying to improve ourselves. Well, And it also creates a game of incentives for staff that possibly work against their own development and work against the school's goals and actually 
take away from where you were before you started an incentive game. And what I mean by incentive game, like you said, for the nightmare scenario of a teacher where their review is tied to their students' scores on test results, which then links to their pay, if cheating in some way is an incentive that appears to provide me with a better evaluation, which saves me from losing money in my personal income, well, that cheating works against the school's goals, my goals, all of these sorts of things, and yet might, under some circumstances, be able to tick all of the boxes and make it appear as though everything's just going along tickety-boo swimmingly. Absolutely. And so all of these things have to work in conjunction with each other. Uh, We talk about the healthy mainstream school that still evaluates teachers and still assesses students, sometimes using standardized testing. But it it realizes that's that's not the whole scope of human learning and that we have to build a a culture and an ethos where where growth happens because we've bought in and we believe that this the growth of ourselves the growth of our students is a, a positive thing in and of itself it's not come externally so we talked about the negative idea of development and evaluation just being top down and it's something you just have to do but you know the ideal situation is we're buying into it and we've got this healthy forward momentum where we're evaluating we're supporting each other, we're developing professionally, we're sharing the best practice with each other, applying it in our classrooms, and that's it's leading to growth in our students in a wider, more holistic way. And then we begin to start leaning into some more progressive school types of ideas where we're looking at more holistic growth. But even within the mainstream system, we understand that human beings are, are more than the, the narrow band of test scores. And so our, our growth, our professional development and our evaluation should also reflect that. So today we've dug deep. I think we've dug deep into the staff evaluations, professional development. We've looked at how we grow, how we measure that, the babies in the bathwaters of that. Next, we look at how schools meet, how they gather, how they collaborate, how they plan. In our next episode, we're going to look at teacher collaboration and planning, as well as staff meetings in the mainstream school and how they differ to some degree to the planning and staff meetings we would have seen in the traditional approach to school and maybe get a few glimpses comparing and contrasting that with the progressive approach to teacher collaboration, planning, and staff meetings as well. Any other final notes before we wrap up today, Brendan? No, I'm going to listen back to what we said and see just how much sense it made. And fingers crossed... There was some gems in there. And uh, then I'm going to go out and get myself some professional development in this area and see if I'm even better for the next episode. Let's get some voice coaches for us. Exactly. Well, thank you very much, Rob. Enjoyable as always. Thanks, Brandon. Bye.